0: Chapter Six of A Yellow Journalist by Miriam Michelson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Leanne Howlett. That List of Bassets. Which Miss Massey Published. It all came about through Senator Thorpe's constitutional incapacity to take program. Newberry, the other candidate for the senatorship, looked at United Powers' table of facts and figures and promptly threw up the sponge. There was no use fighting Boss Bassett and the mighty corporation that controls politics throughout the state. He knew that. Thorpe knew it, too, but admitting a fact and being reconciled to it were two widely separated processes to Thorpe. You're in the fight to stay, Senator? Bassett had asked by way of preliminary. You really expect to be re-elected? The two men were closeted at the senator's headquarters in the one hotel at Sacramento. Everybody stays at the same place at the Capitol during sessions, even reporters. There is no other place. You bet I'm in it. Bill Thorpe's no quitter, answered the senator. Bassett passed a fat white hand over a close shaven chin. You can count on your men, I suppose, or, That's what I can declared Thorpe positively. "'Or you think you can,' amended Bassett softly. Whereupon Thorpe swore roundly, fussed and fumed, announced his absolute conviction of the loyalty of his supporters in a loud, uncertain voice, and then fell silent and uncomfortable, biting his short nails and casting scrutinizing glances at Bassett.' "'but you might scrutinize U.P.'s boss's face till doomsday "'without finding out anything but what he wanted you to know. "'I've interviewed Bassett a number of times "'on the most delicate matters concerning the boss's boss, United Power, "'and he has sent me away empty-handed regularly, "'and yet with a pleased little sense of having been permitted "'to infer something special, "'a vague something of an intimate and confidential nature "'which,' the boss intimated, would be caviar to the mere multitude of reporters. The old fox, with his small, twinkling cold eye, his stiff, short hair, his shrewd, sharp nose. Oh, I can fancy just how he looked at Thorpe. Why, look here, Bassett. The senator began to bluster. The boss's smiling confidence disconcerted him. These men are pledged to me. Will you, began Bassett, "'but Thorpe stormed past the interruption. "'And not only pledged in black and white, "'but they're bound to me besides. "'I'm no chicken in politics, "'but when you secure a man's election, as I did Allen's, "'when you've got a deputy collectorship of the port "'for a near relative, as I did for Brigham's brother, "'when you've shelled out money to pay a mortgage pressingly due, "'which is what I did for Kennefy, "'when you've spent your own money in their counties, "'as I have for Grimmon, Glass, Hires, Urton. "'Johnson, Jameson, and the lot of them. "'Why, you ought to be able to count pretty hard on them.' "'You certainly ought,' agreed Bassett, "'with the openness to conviction "'that made intellectual contact with him refreshing. "'Senator Thorpe got to his feet, puffed out his chest, "'dug his hand down into his pocket, "'and complacently jingled his money and his keys. "'Well, that's where I stand,' he declared, "'with pompous self-satisfaction.' "'and Bassett looked at him. "'Yep, that's where I stand,' repeated Thorpe, "'a bit of irritation at the other's smiling silence "'betraying itself in his voice and manner. "'Well?' he demanded presently. "'Well, I wouldn't stand too hard, Senator. "'I wouldn't—' "'And Thorpe began to bluster, "'drowning the very words he really wanted to hear "'in his effort to keep up his own courage.' bassett scratched his stiff bristling hair gently and waited do you mind senator he asked pleasantly after thorpe had subsided showing me your list only the true and tried if you please those you're absolutely sure of you can have my word that i'll take no advantage of your confidence but i may be able to assist to spare you some trouble and possible disappointment he concluded with a delicate hesitation Of course, Boss Bassett is a man of honor with certain well-defined limitations. Everybody knows that. And Thorpe knew it as well as anybody. A man isn't in politics in a corporation-ridden state for fifteen years without learning the kind of boss he has to deal with. All right, I'll show it to you. Not for the reasons you give, but to prove to you what good grounds I have for feeling confident of re-election. He pulled a slip of paper out of his wallet, and tapping it knowingly with his forefinger, said, You're not the first man who has seen it. Newberry, who's got twenty votes. Newberry did have twenty votes, put in Bassett quickly. Thorpe looked at him a moment, irritated, incredulous inquiry in his face. Then he hurried on. Newberry thought some of these fellows might have been repeating on us. So yesterday we got together, he and I, and just quietly compared notes. By heaven, there wasn't a single name on his list that was on mine. The men pledged to him were true to him. The men pledged to me were true to me. You mean true in your case, so far as Newberry is concerned, and in his, so far as you are concerned? Remarked Bassett imperturbably. I mean, what's that? I don't understand you. "'Thorpe was agitated. "'There's a third candidate. "'Truitt.' "'Bah! "'If I have twenty-eight and Newberry twenty, "'his votes are bound to come to me after a few ballots. "'And Truitt... "'Of course, of course, if you have twenty-eight and he has twenty, "'What the devil do you mean?' "'Bassett held out his hand for Thorpe's list, "'then pulled two papers from an inside pocket "'and laid the three sheets side by side on the table.' Come, look, he said, nodding toward the evidence so openly displayed. And Thorpe looked. There was Newberry's list, with more than half the names significantly checked off. And, beside it, on Bassett's list, boldly standing out and paralleling Thorpe's own name for name, was the record of his men gone over to the enemy, pledged to true it. It ran something like this. Allen, $2,000. Brigham, Harry Brigham, son, and the Mint. Ewing, Post and Railroad Office, San Francisco. Grimmin, $3,000. Glass, can't be bought. Hires, $2,500. Urton, $2,500. Johnson, can't be got. Jameson, doubtful. Kennify, Klein, $2,000. And so on down the list. No wonder Thorpe looked shocked. He had been outbid without even a notification that he must bid higher. How did I get it all? Through Thorpe, of course. State Senator Newberry had taken his defeat like a philosopher. A base, truckling coward, Thorpe now called him, and was working busily in the Truett camp with an eye out for future contingencies. But Thorpe, oh, Thorpe was just dancing with rage, just piping hot, brimming over and a tiptoe to pour his tale of woe into a sympathetic ear. And instead of one, he found two, or rather four, mine and Ted Thompson's. Aiken was there, too, to sketch the rampant Thorpe in action while we listened and questioned. But artists don't count, and Aiken, anyway, never hears a word that's going on. But really, Ted and I hadn't much questioning to do. Thorpe was so ready. If we had caught him ten minutes later, he'd have had time to bethink himself that a corporation outlives individuals, scandals, charges, proofs, and popular indignation, that united power has a long memory, and that a certificate of political death from Bassett is all that's necessary before burial promptly takes place. "'but when Ted and I overheard Newberry on the Capitol steps inveighing against Thorpe for cutting him dead "'in the Senate chamber that morning, "'with one accord we turned and made for the hotel. "'While Ted scurried through the bar, the billiard room, "'and up to the senator's headquarters at last, "'I phoned for the artist, and when we got to Thorpe's plush parlor, "'Teddy had him neatly corralled "'and not another reporter on the horizon. "'You can have it all to yourself, you lucky girl,' Ted said, when Thorpe had been turned inside out and left for remorse to seize upon him. The Times records committed, you know, to the belief that U.P. is the noblest and most generous of public benefactors. I'll give the office the facts, of course, but they'll only print an obscure paragraph vaguely alluding to rumors, etc., so you've got a bully thing for your own. I won't give it away. We'll keep it in the family. Whose? I asked thanking him with a look. "'Why, ours. Yours and mine,' he chuckled. "'Oh, you know it'll come to that one of these days, Miss Massey,' he added. The bold-faced conceit of him. "'I don't know anything of the sort. I'm wedded to me art, Mr. Theodore Thompson,' I said haughtily. "'Tell that to McCabe,' he jeered. "'Mr. McCabe would be interested,' I remarked demurely. "'Rhoda!' It was half appeal, half affected dismay. You haven't been and gone and taken a base advantage of my being busy to go and get McCabe to fall in love with you. How do you know that I won't get a little leisure one of these days? I do know, I interrupted, that we're both a bit intoxicated over this lovely grind on the whole senatorial situation. And I know, too, that I'll never be able to hold you in a breach of promise suit, Ted, for you could always claim that the offer had been made or scantily implied rather under intense excitement induced by the prettiest scandal that ever scandalized scandalous sacramento i'm off to work i want a denial from bassett of course he'll deny till he's black in the face but there'll be senatorial investigations won't there and deputations from the city and mounting in hot haste all over the political battlefield oh dear yes darling he said attentively ''Ted Thompson,'' I flared at him, ''take care. I see signs of parasis and...'' ''No, you're too modest, Rhoda. It isn't invariably a symptom of alcoholism or approaching a to care for you. Shoo! Oh, there comes Thorpe,'' I cried. ''He'll want to retract, scoot. Rhoda,'' Ted whispered, ''I'll cover the retreat.'' The T.R. will print all the retractions he wants, but you don't have to, you lucky little thing. I hurried up the stairs, but before I got to my room, I heard Ted say sweetly, Not the slightest use in the world, Senator. Of course, so far as the T.R. is concerned, I'll fix it all right. But I just left Miss Massey at the telegraph office. The whole thing's on the wire by now, and the news'll have it, sure. The only way you can stop it is by reaching McCabe himself. Suppose you get the next train and go down to see him. Suppose he did, I grinned. It would keep him out of the way of the other reporters. As for reaching McCabe, that duck of a Ted Thompson knew as well as I that McCabe simply can't be reached, and that the news's whole policy as a rabid anti-UP paper made this bit of news so valuable that all the senator's horses and all his men and barrels of money couldn't buy it back again. Now... A secret investigation is a direct challenge to the press. It's an insulting way of telling newspapers to go about their business, which, of course, is to find out by surreptitious means the very thing which is surreptitiously being kept from them, or, rather, which someone is attempting to keep from them. For I never yet knew of a Star Chamber session, from a grand jury meeting to the solemn silences in the United States Senate that kept secret, secret things, they're the one thing sure to leak. So at first we were hopeful up at Sacramento when the legislature appointed a committee to investigate certain charges made by a certain newspaper published in the city and county of San Francisco, besmirching the fair name and fame of California, stabbing to the very vitals the reputation of legislators of this great state, legislators who, if the said grave charges might be substantiated, must be driven with scorn and loathing forever from the honored seats of public office, driven to the festering haunts of obscurity, and left to rot there in their own infamy. I quote from the resolution introduced by the Honorable Horace Kennify of Grafton. It was a beautiful speech, quite Kennify, a grandstand play, Ted Thompson said, but McCabe always believed it to be indignation due to the Honorable Horace's discovering that he had been sold, too cheap. McCabe came up, you know, when I wired him that I was summoned to appear as a witness at the investigation. Ted wasn't in it to any extent, for the T.R. had carefully belittled the whole thing. But, my, I was glad to see McCabe's big-coated figure stalking into the saddle rock, where Ted and I were at breakfast. It gave me the snuggest feeling of being personally conducted. Hey, Rhoda, has the sun just come out? Ted demanded as I jumped up to meet McCabe's outstretched hand. No, Mr. Thompson, the father's just come up, the journalistic daddy of Rhoda Massey, who feels just as safe when the news is news editor's on desk as But suppose the managing editor had come up instead? McCabe asked, still holding my hand. I made a wry face. Old Broughton has always been a figurehead on the news. I knew that McCabe was really running things the very first day he took me into the office in spite of Bowman's prejudice against women reporters. McCabe laughed and, sitting down at the table, called for a cup of coffee. "'So, you don't approve of your managing editor?' he asked, smiling. He was positively shining with good nature this morning. "'Miss Massey, rebel, is the way they put it down at the office.' "'I don't approve of Brofton,' I insisted. "'Nobody does.' "'I said you're managing editor,' he repeated significantly. "'Not—' I looked at him. "'Of course it was. "'It was gratified ambition that beamed from his face. "'You couldn't mistake it. "'Oh, Mr. McCabe,' I squealed. "'Congratulations!' "'And we shook hands all around the table.' but it makes a fellow feel a bit as though he were butting in on a thanksgiving breakfast or some family function of that sort growled ted she's ungrateful anyway mr mccabe here i have been coddling and comforting my hated rival ever since she jumped with both feet into politics she's the most looked-at girl in sacramento raw young assemblymen yearn to meet her shy old state senators are afraid of her And all this time, instead of throwing bombs at her for holding the center of the stage so cheekily, I've been playing guardian and masculine prop and shelter. Yet the minute you appear, she flies to your bosom like a poor little dove who's been all alone among hawks. Fie, Rhoda! With a nod, he was about to leave us to talk things over, when McCabe put out a hand to detain him. "'I say, Thompson,' he said slowly, why not really butt into the news family? There's a news editorship vacant since Saturday. Bowman's too limited or he'd have it. What do you think? Oh, jolly, I exclaimed. Ted hesitated. Thanks. I'm awfully obliged, Mr. McCabe, and appreciative, too. Will you let me think it over? A desk position doesn't tempt me. I wouldn't have the city editorship on the TR, you know, because I've always had a sneaking feeling that perhaps I could write some day something other than newspaper stuff. But thank you, I'd like to work for you, and can't it stay open just for a day or so? McCabe nodded, Ted went off, and we got down to business. It's all straight, eh, this Thorpe Bassett stuff? was McCabe's first question. Confess now. If this thing's on the level, the news'll back you till the last shot is fired. But if it's a fake, Rhoda, I want to know now before we go into action and and the news'll back you just the same, of course. But upon honor, now. Don't be so heroic, Mr. McCabe, I grinned. Of course it's all true, every word of it. Thompson could corroborate it, only it wouldn't be fair to put him in such a position with the T.R. But what makes you think it isn't straight? Thorpe denies it. Phew! In his testimony before the investigating committee, he disavowed the thing altogether—the main thing, that is—the charge that Bassett brought his men and showed him a list with the market price of legislators attached. How do you know what he said before the committee? Even Thompson can't get a line from the inside, you know. Neither can I, for publication, but we got this as a private tip, on condition the news shouldn't make use of it the thing the one thing on earth that we want now is a copy of that list of bassett's well you are modest i cried is there anything else you'd like it'll be produced before the investigating committee no yes it will not by thorpe he is recanted all right donned his hair shirt walked barefoot to the up office and is now groveling for pope bassett's forgiveness but you see this ruction of yours has stirred newberry up he sees a chance with thorpe out of it and with bassett's man Truitt blasted effectually by suspicion his usefulness to united power impaired by the very fact of his being labeled a up man so newberry to whom bassett showed a copy of that same precious document of which newberry promptly made a copy is going to produce it or rather to get it indirectly before the committee "'have it found by someone in some mysterious way "'that won't connect him with it. "'And then, posing as the great reconciler "'by instancing his submission to Bassett "'as evidence of loyalty to United Power, "'and the fact he was not Bassett's candidate "'as recommendation to the independents, "'just naturally gather in the senatorship. "'Oh, he ought to give it to us, that list,' I cried. "'He'll owe it to us. "'He was out of the running before.' Yes, he ought, but he doesn't dare. Bassett'll watch him like a hawk after this, and connection with any anti-UP paper right after the Thorpe expose would be too evident. No, there's no thoroughfare there. But I would give my new baton for that paper, wrote a Massey. The stenographer, I suggested. He shook his head. It's Benson. Abandon hope, all ye who, I moaned. "'Benson's like glass, incorruptible.' He laughed. "'Well, come on. It's a great fight, anyway. "'And the office is pleased to be pleased with you, Miss Massey. "'And if the small sum of twenty more per "'would be considered any testimonial of our appreciation, why—' "'Oh, how nice of you!' I cried. "'I'll actually be able to pay for the gown I've ordered for the inaugural ball, and—' "'Don't. Charge it to the office.' and make it a corker, mind you, and do us credit. He kept me laughing all the way up to the Capitol. McCabe's hair is getting gray, and his lean, strong face can be grim at times, but he's as boyishly interested in newspaper gossip as Forbes, the Green Reporter is, and he does tell a story beautifully. Positively, when I walked with him into the Supreme Court rooms, where the investigation was being held, and we met Wilson, the news's lawyer there, I was ashamed to remember how I had quaked when the formidable document subpoenaing me had been handed to me. Even if my story had been a fake, with McCabe to back me, I think I could have gone on the stand and lied like a... like a senator. McCabe was called to testify first. Where had he received the information that he published January 3rd? From Miss Massey at Sacramento had he investigated it before he published so grave an accusation the news had never found it necessary to investigate miss massey's stories did the gentleman mean to have this august body infer that merely on an irresponsible reporter's gossip on the sending in of a fake such his questioner had been informed was the technical term used in journalism to describe this sort of tale A newspaper would blast the reputation of honored and honorable men? The news employed no irresponsible reporters, McCabe answered quietly, and for every word Miss Massey had written, the news was as responsible as though it were signed by its proprietor. Very well. The time would come, Mr. Kennify remarked ominously, when that responsibility would be tested in the courts of this great state in the meantime the news's managing editor was excused and miss massey was called miss massey came she had been primed by jack wilson the cleverest lawyer in all the west and her heart was beating with gratification at mccabe's testimonial but she trembled like a little idiot just the same when she was sworn and she had a curious double sense of ridiculing herself from the reporter's desk at the very same moment that she sank gasping into the chair mccabe vacated and to which he led her with ostentatious formality. It was the Honorable Horace Kennefy's lawyer who came to her rescue. He bullied. He started in with a truculent roar, and that gave Miss Massey time enough to get a grip on herself, so as not forever to disgrace the dear old news. And really, after one had sat for a moment in the witness chair, the awful investigating committee faded away, and you just saw through the official mask they had put on. Just one thousand five hundred Kenefy, as he was called now, top-notch Gremmyn, stanch kindly old Judge Glass, Lamson, the lion of San Isidro, Mooney, the boy orator from Siskiyou, and all the other familiar faces that appeared daily at ordinary legislative sessions to furnish copy for newspaper people. I call upon you, Miss Massey," Kenefy's lawyer shouted melodramatically. TO PRODUCE THE DOCUMENT REFERRED TO IN THE NEWS OF JANUARY 3RD. I CAN'T. YOU CAN'T? DO YOU MEAN TO SAY THERE IS NO SUCH DOCUMENT? I MEAN TO SAY THAT SENATOR THORPE TOLD ME THERE IS SUCH A DOCUMENT, BUT... HE SHOWED IT TO YOU? NO. YOU TOOK IT DOWN AS HE READ IT TO YOU? NO. WHERE ARE YOUR NOTES? I DIDN'T TAKE ANY. Of course I didn't. It would scare confession from volubility itself to see itself being taken down in black and white. Miss Massey, you don't intend this distinguished body to understand that you wrote your interview with Senator Thorpe, so important an interview, from memory. Yes, I do. Ah, then being fallible you are liable to be mistaken? An exact quotation occasionally, but not in the matter reported. It was then that State Senator Loder sprang to his feet. I demand, he shouted, that this committee ask for its discharge. I demand that the absurdity of considering so flagrant a case of journalistic irresponsibility be recognized. Is so frail and uncertain a thing as a girl's memory to be made the basis of attacks upon the probity of legislators whose honor has never been impugned? Is it possible that this body will further dignify with its attention so trivial a charge, emanating from a notoriety-seeking girl who... Both Wilson and McCabe were on their feet then, but I wouldn't let them speak. It was my turn now. Mr. Loder, I cried. If I were to think very hard, perhaps I could remember names that came alphabetically lower down on that list. Perhaps if you give me time, that same frail and uncertain memory of mine... "'but neither Senator Loder nor half a dozen others "'whose names begin with letters in the last half of the alphabet "'would give me time. "'They were mighty anxious now to excuse Miss Massey, "'and Miss Massey herself was not anxious to remain. "'We come off with flying colors, Rhoda,' "'McCabe said as we walked down the Capitol steps "'at the foot of which Wilson's automobile was standing. "'Wilson's going to take me to the train. "'Will you come?' "'No, no, thank you. "'I've something I want to do.' Thompson, he asked facetiously, or the ball gown? I shook my head. It wasn't anything so easy as Ted or the gown. As I stood there preoccupied, watching the two men in the bubble as it jumped, snorted, buzzed, and reared preparatively, and then dived off down through the grounds, all I really saw was a bald-headed little man with a shorthand reporter's notebook on his knee and a page of hieroglyphic hooks and curves. My testimony— which I had seen Benson transcribe while Senator Loder was delivering his oration, and then mechanically tearing the page across once, let it fall into the waste basket. From the reporter's desk during sessions we had often watched Benson transcribe a narrow page of pot-hooks, when his assistant came to relieve him, and then, tearing it with deliberation across, let it fall into the basket at his feet. And this very afternoon, within an hour, Benson would have just such another page of hooks and curves which, transcribed, instead of revealing the remarks of one Rhoda Massey, would show the cost price of legislators as set down by Boss Bassett, an expert in buying and selling. And when that slim little page of hieroglyphics should be transcribed, where would it go? And to the waste paper basket, after being torn across in that methodical, deliberate manner from which systematic little Benson never departed. But really, really, that narrow page torn in half would not yet have outlived all its usefulness. To any other shorthand man, it would reveal the same absorbingly interesting exposure that had startled Newberry and Thorpe, and would startle the members of the committee this very afternoon. The sessions were over at four. By that time I had hired a stenographer. You're to have your typewriter in my room and be ready to transcribe another man's notes, I told him from 6 in the evening till 2 in the morning if during that time i want you i'll come down for you i've taken another room for tonight if i don't want you you can go home at 2 but you're not to mention my name nor to let anyone know that i've hired you and you can set your own terms for the evening's work i left him then and went upstairs to my new room it wasn't nearly so large nor so airy as the one i'd had ever since the legislature assembled and it was two stories higher, just under the roof, in fact. But it had some advantages. One was a big old-fashioned transom, exactly like the one belonging to Benson's room next door. On the score of my new room being so small, and my needing a lot of room to dress for the ball that night, I had Sam the porter set my square-topped big trunk outside in the corridor. Sam misunderstood the number of my room, "'and set the trunk in the little blind square off which Benson's door opened. "'But I tipped him just the same, in fact, twice as much. "'I heard little Benson stumble against the trunk "'when he got home that afternoon at 4.20 precisely. "'The little square landing was already dark, "'and he must have come upon it unexpectedly. "'But he didn't swear. "'Nothing perturbed Benson long. "'In just five minutes I saw the light he'd lit through my open transom. "'His was open, too.' and i heard his typewriter rattling off a volley its clacking crackling commentaries punctuated by the singing little bell and the almost as regularly rhythmic tearing across of each sheet of paper as he finished with it i ate my dinner alone there what i could eat i was so excited that nothing on the tray i had had sent up appealed to my appetite but i drank the coffee down like a toper and then i waited i waited years years of moving the typewriter carriage back at the end of a line years of insertions of new sheets, and in spite of my excitement and the tension of my nerves, I laughed at myself as I sat there in a snug, short golf skirt and trim knit jacket, looking like an athletic, even acrobatic Cinderella, while my new, my first, my only ball gown lay spread in dainty fluffiness on the bed, waiting its chance, too. I wondered whether either of us would be gratified. It must be neither or both, I thought, as I sat there in the dark listening to the perpetual clatter in Benson's room. I couldn't see myself going to the ball knowing I had failed, though everybody else there should be talking of my success. And I didn't dare to fancy myself on the way there with this thing accomplished, for that was enough to intoxicate me. And I'd need all the small wits I had before I got through. It was half-past six when Benson's bell sounded the last time, and the typewriter gave a discordant screech as the last sheet was torn from it. It took Benson ten minutes more to get ready. He'd been working two hours without a second's breathing space. I waited till I heard the patent lock on his door click behind him, and he ran hungrily down the stairs to his dinner. Then guiltily I opened the door. Yes, guiltily. I felt as though the dim corridors were alive with suspicious eyes. They weren't. Everybody was downstairs at dinner. All I could hear was the opening of a door now and then and the porters scurrying busily about in the hall below. It didn't take me a minute to get to Benson's door, and on the top of my trunk and, with a good grasp on the lower edge of the open transom, I was just about to slip through when... when I heard a heavy step in the hall behind me. Oh, I'll never forget that minute. It serves you right, Rhoda Massey i cried bitterly to myself it's a nice dignified detail you've chosen you will be famous now the whole town will ring with it and when you're laughed out of sacramento you can go down to the city and meet it at every turn your very own office will hoot at you you greedy little pig why couldn't you be satisfied but i didn't have much time to scold rhoda massey for the steps came nearer and nearer till i could see black sam the porter a heavy suitcase in either hand He saw me, too, in the same minute, and the necessity for a quick fib almost made me dizzy. Can't can't you take time to fix this transom for me, Sam? I gasped, sliding to the floor. I was sure it wouldn't occur to him that not this one but the next room was mine. It won't stay open, and the room's awfully close. Suddenly, miss— He sprang upon the trunk and wedged the thing open with a wad of paper— "'My purse is inside,' I explained as he waited expectantly. "'Tomorrow, eh?' "'Oh, that's all right, miss. "'You newspaper ladies ain't so stingy with tips as plain common ones,' he chuckled. "'Just as though a newspaper woman could afford to be stingy with tips.' "'I waited as he shuffled off, and the banging of my heart seemed to die away "'with the lessening sound of his footsteps. "'Then quickly I climbed on the trunk again.' and in a second I was through the transom and hanging inside Benson's room by my fingertips. For a moment I swung there. The room, being on the garret floor, wasn't high, but the couple of feet that separated me from the floor— a yellow journalist's education, ought really to include athletics—terrified me. It must be nice to be a man. You can count on so many more inches, and inches count when you're hanging by your fingertips. When I did let go, it was because I had to— "'and the fall gave my ankle a nasty twist. "'But I limped gleefully over to Benson's desk. "'There was that blessed basket full to the brim of half-sheets, "'just as my fondest fancy had painted it. "'I took a towel and, spreading it on the floor, "'turned the basket upside down and dumped every bit of paper into it. "'Then I knotted the ends tight and slung it over my arm. "'Oh, it was easy! Easy!' All I had to do then was to open the door and instead of letting it latch itself behind me, leave it slightly ajar. I had got my back to the door, fortunately, most fortunately, and I was giggling to myself with delight when, when as though shot from out of the blue, Benson's dumpy little figure appeared before me. What to do? He was within a few steps of where I stood. There wasn't time to get to my room. I, I'm not proud of it. Still, it oughtn't to be charged up to me but to that vice of secret investigation which piques reporters into doing things you couldn't hire them to do under other circumstances. I bent over quickly, almost double to hide my bundle, and in a voice of anguished uncertainty, the voice of the female in distress because something's given away, I stammered. I I beg your pardon, have you got a pen? Oh, and to Benson, bashful Benson as the boys call him, who can't talk to a woman without blushing to what was once the roots of his hair. In spite of my terror and agitation, I wished I could see his face. I couldn't, but I could hear his embarrassed voice, which was almost as good. "'No, ma'am,' he bleated. "'But—but will I go downstairs and get you one?' "'Please,' I faltered. And with a fleetness that betrayed his emotion, he ran downstairs.' By the time he got back, I was safe in my own room. How relieved he must have been not to find me. I waited there in the dark, listening. I was wondering, should he notice the empty basket under the desk, whether he'd conclude that some housemaid had been cleaning up. But I needn't have worried. He was able, evidently, in his methodical, old-maidish way, to put his hand on the thing he wanted in a minute, and slamming the door behind him, he was out again and down the stairs. So was I. I got to the door of my old room and had my shorthand man at work within five minutes. While he transcribed, I was matching ill-assorted halves. We must have worked together for hours, and we didn't hit upon that list of purchasable legislators till nearly the last page. I didn't realize how long we'd been at it. I was so absorbed in it all, till a bellboy came up with a great bunch of roses. From Ted. I looked at my watch. Nine, and we were to have started for the capital at half-past. "'Tell Mr. Thompson,' I said to the boy, "'that Miss Massey has hurt her ankle and can't be ready till ten. "'Then we went at it again. "'When we got through, I gave that shorthand man an order for $100 on the office "'for his evening's work and as a reward for discretion. "'But I didn't tempt him too far. "'I didn't let his transcription out of my hand "'till I had filed it with the telegraph operator.' and every single one of those half-sheets of Benson's I tied carefully back in the towel. Then I dismissed the stenographer. Then upstairs once more, up on the trunk— I hadn't counted on Benson's springing the lock of the door again— over on the most undignified of details. Say that the writer's life is a sedentary life. Another wrench of that unfortunate ankle, the papers dumped back into the basket and Rhoda Massey back in her room with two maids to help her get into her ball gown. Said Ted, as we paraded through the crowded hall, I wish some miracle might make life all one long inaugural ball, in which one's partner is a witch in pink, with an ankle damaged just enough to prevent her dancing away with other men. Are you aware how triumphantly sweet you look, Miss Massey? I shook my head. I was trying to get calm. Calm as a statuesque Miss Chipchase, for instance, who was coming toward us on Senator Newberry's arm. But really I was intoxicated with success and Ted's praise. I don't believe you, he said, getting in front of me as I nodded over at them both. Mary Chipchase was the heroine of one of my biggest stories. Besides, you've got to look at me. Don't waste smiles on politicians. They're notoriously ungrateful. Rhoda, when are you going to give up newspaper work? Never. Fancy me with nothing doing day after day and year after year, with nothing to find out and nothing to crow over. I just couldn't. The old habit would come strong upon me at the first temptation, and like a well-trained fire horse, I'd run away from home at the signal of a story. No, I'm afraid to try. I say, Rhoda, he was bending down now, and there was something shining in Ted Thompson's eyes that I'd never seen there before. Try. Do. Do try. Let's try together. I'll accept McCabe's offer and reform and be a solid, substantial, stiff old desk man. I'll get in and write the things I've only talked about hitherto. I'll basely undermine McCabe, if you say so, and take his job away from him. I'll set the bay afire. fire. I'll... Oh, Rhoda, I'll worship you all my life, sweetheart, if you'll only let yourself care for me. It's—it's the gown, I stammered. Ted, and the music, and the flowers. You—you wouldn't have said all this if you had seen me an hour ago. He looked at me quickly. What are you up to? Oh, what do I care? What do I care? You haven't said no. Glory, hallelujah. Rhoda Massey, you haven't said it. And you would have said it quick enough if— Miss Massey, it was Newberry's voice. What's this latest sensation that's been wired up from the city? Are you going to keep us stirred up with a daily bombshell? He was smiling delightedly. I thought you two were deadly rivals. What are you plotting together? He added, looking at Ted while Mary Chipchase and I renewed acquaintance. Oh, that's all done. There was a break in Ted's voice that melted the very heart within me. Oh, it's wonderful that a man can care so much for a girl, as wonderfully glorious as it is to be the girl. We're all in the same family now, he went on merrily. I've gone over to the news. Behold, Ted Thompson, news editor. I congratulate you. Then perhaps you can compel this young woman to tell us how she got the complete report of this afternoon's secret session, including a verbatim copy of the Bassett list that the whole state's mad to see. "'No!' Ted looked at me. "'Scoop me, have you, Rhoda Massey?' Taking base advantage of my... my preoccupation, he went on quizzically as I looked up apprehensively. "'Tell us. How in the world did you do it?' "'But I wouldn't. Do you suppose I'd tell this new Ted Thompson a thing like that?' "'I might have yesterday, but now.' A page skimmed over the polished floor while I stood there hesitating. I saw the telegram in his hand, and somehow I knew it was for me. I tore it open and gave just one glance at it. Oh, Ted, Ted, I cried, gathering up my train. No more playing lady for me. The Lowenthal stories broke loose at last. End of Chapter 6